Hi, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast to help you plug in at Quest both in person and online. Now, let's dive into this week's teaching. So today we're continuing our series called The Christian Disconnect. And what we're dealing with in this series is the idea of we live life believing in God, but we live disconnected from that belief. We act as though he doesn't exist all too easy, as though he's a non-factor in too many areas of our life too often. Or or put put another way, we believe in God, but act like it's all up to me in life, right? Today's message is is going to touch on one of the greatest, most common dreams that I think every single one of us have that we want to define our life. And that is simply this. We all want to be known as generous people. We admire generous people. And when we think of what I would like to be admired for, we want to be admired for that as well. At Quest, we try to pull into this idea of generosity on a regular basis in many different ways. We try to pull in it primarily by comparing ourselves to Jesus and his generosity so that we can be generous in our kindness. We can be generous in our patience with people. We can be generous in our forgiveness, loving people in spite of differences, having meaningful relationship across differences, and being winsome instead of being divisive uh, in circumstances. And yes, generosity in finances as well as part of it. So when we deal with finances around here, which I haven't preached on it for a long time, my goal is to just deal with it really honestly because it's an issue that affects us all. It's the central aspect of all of our lives. And yet I want to deal with it and I hope I can deal with it today in a way that nobody leaves with a sense of guilt. Instead, I hope that we can leave with a sense of inviting us to this common, God-given desire that we all have to be generous people. Because God talks a bunch about money and wanting to bless us in our finances and for us to be in a place with our hearts toward Him and toward money where we can enjoy money as the blessing that it's intended to be and not allow it to corrupt corrupt ourselves or struggle with anxiety or worry or all the tension that we sometimes deal with around money. So if you're here today and you would describe yourself as not a convinced follower of Jesus yet, you haven't gone all, all in. Why, why would you want to hear what we're going to talk about today as far as God and money? Well, let me ask you a couple of questions first. Are you happy with the level of peace, with the joy around money in your life, with how it plays out in your relationships? Are you happy with that? Or, or does money drive you? Does it, does it create anxiety and worry for you? Does it lead to arguments in your marriage and your family and tension and all sorts of bad stuff? Or, or, and, and, and even maybe more importantly than that, are, are, are too many of your goals that you say, this will make me happy, this is what I want in life, are too many of those goals attached to money so that you're leaving yourself vulnerable? If I don't get that money, then I'm going to be unhappy, right? Can you answer, yes, that's me, in any of those questions? The reality is relationship with God, and this is one of my arguments today, is relationship with God is the most powerful and I think the only effective way for us to find freedom in our heart to really truly enjoy the blessing of money and wealth without worrying about it 
and being driven by the need for it. And yeah, I know some of you might be thinking, well, yeah, but Ross, what about, what about all those you know, money-grubbing, greedy preachers that have been in the news in the past? And to that I'd just say, exactly. That's the reason Jesus talked about money so much. That's the reason we, as followers of Christ, no matter where we're at, need to have regular inventory Sundays where we check where our heart is in regard to this issue, to be reminding ourselves of the path to freedom and the promise of God that He wants to have in our lives as far as generosity and wealth, to make sure our hearts are not in the wrong place with this. So let's start it off this way. I have a $10 bill here. And on the back of it, it says, in God we trust, right? Most of our bills say that. And, and frankly, I, I think it's kind of nice that our bills say that. But the reality is, most of us don't believe that when it comes to money, right? At least not in all areas of our lives. We believe in God, but we trust money more. Now, in this famous longer passage Jesus talks about, He talks about the power of worry in regard to money. And we can all relate to worry, can't we? We've all had those moments where we've worried about finances and worried about things. We can relate to that. Jesus also talks in this really long passage about how we find security from money and and things in our lives. And then he goes on and and, and says, "But, but I need to remind you, God knows we need those things. God already knows we need those things in our life. And then Jesus gives us two really famously quoted scripture passages in just a few verses. It's found in Luke 12. Uh, You can also find almost identical wording in Matthew 6, and it says this, But seek first his kingdom, and these things will be added to you as well, given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, but for your father has been pleased to give you what? Give you the kingdom of God. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the reality is that many of us treasure money more than we do God. And therefore, we live life disconnected in that, that, that area, at least, from God. And, and this isn't just a disconnect like we talked about the last few weeks. It isn't just a disconnect of emotion around loss or, or disappointment or confusion that gets in the way of us wanting to pray and wondering where God is. It's not, it's not the same disconnect we have from anger over the fairness question that we dealt with last week when Jeremy was up and talked about that. This is a disconnect because money is an idol we worship more than God. And so if we're going to assess where our hearts are today in relation to this issue, it centers on one question. Where is your heart? And that actually takes us all the way back to the very first of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other God before me. You see, how do we trust money more than God, right? I'm going to propose at least two ways. I'm sure there's more. I think we trust money more than God when we believe in God, but we trust money more to provide us with happiness, right? Now, most of us, I think, will have a hard time admitting that that's true of ourselves because we look around and we've had all the stories. We've heard all the people talk about how they made a ton of money and it didn't make them happy. 
So with that in mind, I'm going to ask you a couple quick questions, and I'd, I'd really appreciate it if you'd actively respond to these questions today. So the first question is this. How many of you would agree that money does not buy happiness? Raise your right hand. Some of you need to raise the other right hand. Right? Okay, keep them up there for a second. Keep it up there for a second. Second question. How many of you would say a little bit more money would actually help you be more happy? Raise your other hand. So which is it? Which is it? See, we joke all the time, don't we, about those who are much more wealthy than us. And we say things like, I know money doesn't buy happiness, but I'd really like to have the chance to try when we look at them, right? We say that all the time. Revealing what? Our heart's belief. More money would make us more happy. Honestly, these questions caught me this last week. Even as I was preparing for this guy, I felt like God confronted me and spoke to me about an area of my life. Because, you know, with kids in college and other decisions we've made, some good, some bad, and some circumstances, my budget is not where I hoped it would be in life right now. I mean, there are things that we can't afford that I always dreamed of doing at this time in life, and we just flat out can't afford them. And so I was catching myself, especially the last six months or so, thinking about all those things that I'd always dreamed that we could do now that we can't, and mourning the loss of those dreams. And God pointed out that what I'm actually doing is I'm actually trusting money to make me happy more than him in those areas. And my mourning is really an indication that money is in the wrong place in my heart, causing me to experience sadness and anxiety and even anger now and then because money's in the wrong place in my heart. You know, with, if you, I've been believing in God, but I've been trusting more in money for my happiness in some areas than I would like to admit. See, we claim money doesn't buy happiness, but we all believe a little more money will buy a little more happiness. We believe in God, but our actions say we trust God or we trust money more to make us happy, right? Let's, let's just be honest, okay? Can we just be real? Can we be honest and not condemning? Let's don't go down the path of guilt right now. Let's just be honest with where we're at because God loves us. He's going to forgive us if we're in the wrong place in our heart right now, but, but let's just be real where we're at right now. And second thing that I think shows that money can be in the wrong place is we believe in God, but we trust money more to provide us with security. So those of you who have a lot of debt, or maybe would describe yourself as drowning in debt. This is an issue for you. That car, that house that you need that is making you carry this weight of financial pressure on your shoulders, it, it, it's there because it gives you the security of feeling like you're successful, feeling like you're worthy, right? Or, or in regard to parenting, if you've got kids, that extra nice school you've got your kids in, the extra tutoring expenses you're taking, the, 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 the personal trainer, the coaches you've got, the, the best of teams you've got, you pay for the, that you're paying for your kids that you really, really can't afford without a lot of pressure and a lot of difficulty, right? Gives you the security of being a good parent. See, you're not like the other parents who won't do whatever it takes to give your kid a leg up. 
But when we translate what that leg up means, what it usually means is it means all the things that you wish or you think you should have had growing up that would have given you the opportunities that you wanted to have that you didn't feel like you had. So my kids are going to get all the best sports. They're going to get the best coaches. They're going to get all the camps. They're going to have all the personal trainers, all the things that I didn't have, all the things that the successful wealthy people gave their kids that I couldn't get growing up, right? See where we're going with that? You're comparing yourselves to the richer people and what they have, revealing your heart's goal. And all of it goes back to our own security as a parent or our sense of security in the world, getting ahead enough, having enough, being secure enough so that we can never have to struggle with this area or lack anything our heart desires or we think we should have. But let's say for a moment you're not drowning in debt. Let's say you're here and you have absolutely no debt. Everything's paid off. You're, you, you, you've got a great retirement plan going. You've got emergency savings that are really great. You've got your, your, you know, you're saving to replace your cars. You're never going to take another car payment again. You've got everything going right. Well, first of all, let me congratulate you. You're very wise and you're doing a great job. And I sincerely commend you for that. See, if we truly followed biblical teaching on finances, we would all be better off than we are currently today. But here's the problem. If you don't have any of that debt and you've got all that, the nest egg is where you get your security from all too often. So when the markets tumble or you get a really big expense and you've got to take a whole bunch out of that emergency fund or or liquidate that emergency fund, you get what? You get anxious, don't you? You get worried. Can anybody relate to that? Do you live there? Anybody relate to that? You touch that emergency fund and all of a sudden the worry goes through the roof and now you don't have it. And your drive in life is, is your drive in life is to have so much money stashed and so much life insurance that you never, or other insurance that you never ever have to fear ever not having enough money. Now, God may very well want you to be in that position. That's not the point. He probably does want you to be in that position. The problem is your peace and security is not based on trust in God, but it's based upon your wealth. So when the bottom dropped out of the economy in 2001 or 2008, or if you were listening to the news this last week, there was that big 1,000.1 day drop in 2010. Any of you remember that day? Did your heart sink all the way up into your, all the way down to your shoes or go out of your throat that day? That was, somebody got arrested this last week for manipulating that 1,000 point drop in 2010. Your whole sense of peace and security goes out the door. See, you're believing in God, yes, but, but there's a place in your heart that's still believing more in money for security in this life. A couple chapters later in Luke, Jesus says this. He says, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will will entrust you with true riches? And if you have been unfaithful, uh, if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other and angry with the other. See, that's the reason so many people get angry when a preacher talks about money, or when I talk about money, you will be devoted to one or despise the other. And Jesus concludes the saying this way. 
He says you cannot serve God and money. It's not possible. Right? We believe in God, the creator of us and the creator of everything that exists. But we trust money more for our happiness and our security. It's a heart thing, first and foremost. That's the reason most people, people say when I get X amount of money, when I, when I, which, which, which means when I, when I get this raise or I close this deal or I get X amount of my, my pay gets to this level or, or I pay things off so I don't have these expenses, then I'll be more generous. Right? But that doesn't happen for most of us. In fact, quite the opposite. If you just look at the two zip codes from which most of Quest's population comes from, you'll see it here. New Albany, uh, 1.72% of adjusted gross income is what they give. Whereas uh, you go to Westerville that has $40,000 less than adjusted gross income and they go 1.1% up. And if you go to a couple of the poor neighborhoods nearby us or we poorer neighborhoods nearby us, you see the numbers go up and, and that's great. It's more generous, but it's still a little bit like, um, you know, uh, winning the loser's bracket in the lowest rung of the tournament. See, we think that getting richer we will become more generous. But even the studies show that getting richer, you become less generous. You give a smaller amount of your income away. Now, I understand the arguments. If, you, if you're one of the people in one of the wealthier categories, I understand that this doesn't include every way that the wealthy give. Okay, this, this is about 85 to 90% of the way there as far as including what everybody gives. Let me just say, I, d- I did enough research to know that if we included 100%, those, even the top figures, might bump by a few tenths of a percent, maybe a percent at the most. So the point is, this is a reliable indicator for the illustration. And the illustration is simply this. More money does not equal more generosity in most of our lives. And it's because we never solve the heart issue. The dream that we have of being generous cannot be realized because we don't solve the heart issue. And we can never get there with that. So, what does God's teaching say about money that can help us get our heart in the right place and keep it there so that we can be truly free to enjoy the wealth that we get and to also live generously? So, Let's flip back. What did we just hear Jesus say a minute ago? He said what? If you are faithful in little, you will be faithful in much. Now, some read that as this formula. And when they read it as a formula, it goes like this. If you're faithful in little, you'll automatically get much wealth. And if you have much, you must have been faithful. Well, that's that's a misreading of that scripture. That's not what that scripture is trying to get at. God will trust you, certainly, it's trying to get at, with more authority and with more blessing for him. But in a world where there's free will and free choice, there's plenty of people who get wealthy by being greedy and corrupt, right? We know that. We know that's out there. They don't necessarily follow God's ways to get wealthy. And, and, and even though everyone dreams of being generous because even the thought of being generous makes us feel so happy and so good when our heart isn't faithful to God when we have little. It surely won't be faithful to God when we have more. First, uh, you know, this is, this is the first of several important principles that I'm going to list for you, and that's simply this. The first one is if you're not faithful to be generous when you have little, you won't be faithful when you have more. 
And the second principle of a heart set free and, and rightly ordered with God is the principle of tithe in the Bible. And, and, and the principle of tithe in the Bible is simply this. God gives us everything we have. And the tithe is us returning 10% of what he gives us back to him and his work, right? It's, important, it's been an important part of my life since I was a child. I, as a teen, this verse, uh, faithful and little, faithful and much, was one that popped out for me and, and from even middle school years was one of the main verses that constantly motivated me in my walk with God. With God. And it motivated me by, to do my best, whether I was spreading manure on the farm or whether I was opening a door and welcoming people with a smile at, at, as a church usher or whether I was sitting on the bench at the basketball game or whether I was giving a solo in a music concert it didn't matter. I always tried to give my best. And whether I had a lot of dollars or I wasn't sure how I was going to pay my bills that month, I always tithe. And God has always been faithful to me to provide for my needs. I haven't talked much about dollars and money for, for a year or so. But I remember the last time I talked about a year ago, several of you came up to me saying how you had made the jump to tithing. And I've heard this from you and I've heard this from so many people before, I've never had somebody come back to me who, who expressed any regrets. Everybody who comes back to me who made the jump, jump said, I feel so much more free. I have less conflict because my husband and I are on the same page in this now, and I just have so much more joy and freedom. You know, Wendy and I were married a few years, and we were working on master's degrees still. And I, I remember we were four weeks out from having to pay to get into school, and I didn't have enough money to get in school that fall. And uh, we'd been faithfully tithing, and we'd also been eating, you know, 50-pound bags of rice and, you know, 30-pound bags of potatoes with filler on everything, you know, just to make... You've been there. Some of you have been there. You've done that to get by in life. And, and God, I felt God speak to me one night saying, I want you to give $800 above your tithe to a missionary to Russia. And uh, see, here, here's the economics of that. I only needed 2500 in a month to get into school. That's all I needed. And I had that 800 and I figured I would save another 450 which was going to get me barely halfway there. And I wasn't even going to have enough. And both Wendy and I talked about it, we prayed about it, we felt like, no, God said it, so we're going to do it, so we did. And God provided me with overtime and mileage pay during that month in a way that I had never, ever experienced before then in that job and never, ever experienced after that job. And with a gift of a couple hundred dollars that was unexpected, I paid cash for college one month later. God is faithful. He can provide for you. And God, for me in that moment, kept a very specific promise. As I was a senior in high school, God spoke to me and said, this is not for everyone necessarily. I'm not saying this is for everyone. But he, but he spoke to me very specifically saying, I want you to go through college debt-free. And I was able to tithe and I was able to, without any help from my parents for room and board and tuition, get through a BA and two master's degrees debt-free. And God kept his promise during that time period. It's all about our heart. It involves dollars as well, but it's about our heart first. It's, it's, it's about the commandment, not having any other gods before Him, not trusting anything for our provision more than we trust Him. 
And that's the reason the tithe is not just taught as a 10% thing, but it's also the third principle, the principle of the first things. Almost every time you see the tithe talked about in the Bible, you see this principle of tithing and first things tied together. And in Proverbs 3, it says it this way. God says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, and then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. And in Exodus 23, he says, bring the best of your first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. See, the principle of the first things is giving first. So if I have $10 bills, what's a tithe? One, right? So, but it goes further than that. It's, that's not all that he's saying. It's, it's, it's not me saying, well, this 10 is going to go to my mortgage and this 10 is going to go to my groceries and this 10 is going to go to this bill and that 10 is going to go to that bill and, and, and if I have anything left, then I'll give and, and, you know, or I may just, I'm not going to rip it in half, but I may just give what I have. I'm not going to deface currency for you today. You know? It's the first thing is the first thing out of my hand. It's the guaranteed thing out of my hand. Now, why does God make such a big deal out of the first things when he talks about it all throughout Scripture? It's because, it's because what we treasure most is what we give first. It's because what we believe is the foundation of our security is the first thing we pay attention to. Where we think we're, our provision in life comes from is where we focus first on. It's, and it's what we serve is what we pay for first. And then everything else gives, gets the leftovers in our life, right? But it's also more than that. Some people believe tithing as the first fruits is just simply an Old Testament law thing, and they argue that Jesus did away with that, and, and therefore it doesn't apply to us. Now, I'm just going to tell you flat, flat out, that's just terrible theology. It's terrible theology for three reasons. First, Jesus himself in Matthew 23, 23 says, you should not neglect the practice of tithing. He just says it as plain as day. You should not neglect the practice of tithing. And second, tithe as the first fruits didn't originate in the law. It preceded the law by at least 2,500 years, depending on what you believe about how young the earth is. It, it's, a, it's always been a relationship heart thing with God that the law only put into words. We can look back at Genesis 4. God's having a conversation with the first two sons of Adam and Eve, and he says this. He says, And Abel was a keeper of the flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. So why accept one and not the other? Well, so the text makes it clear when we read it right. It says, uh, because Cain, in the course of time, when, when he got around to it, it just kind of, you know, just when he got around to it, he, he didn't bring the first fruits. He just kind of eventually decided to get around to bringing something to God. And the text is clear in distinguishing between Cain and Abel, that Cain, in the course of time, but Abel brought the firstborn, the first to God. And the reason Cain's offering wasn't acceptable is because God was somewhere way down the rungs of the priorities in his life. He wasn't the top, lead, main priority. Cain's priority was God was an afterthought, not the center. To Abel, God was first in his life. To Cain, God was an add-on 
And the third reason tithing is first fruits is, is something that the Bible reinforces all throughout the Bible, all the way throughout the, the New Testament as well, is, is because what we talked about earlier, God does not, doesn't want any other gods before him. He wants all of you. He wants all of me. As creator, we understand that he has a rightful claim to be preeminent in our lives. I mean, that only makes sense, right? I mean, if you really think about it, it's the epitome of brash, rude ungratefulness, is it not? To not have the one who has provided everything for us be the first, be the preeminent, be the all-encompassing priority position in our lives. But we also need him to be in that for our own sakes, in that place in our lives, in order for us to even have a hope of fulfilling the purpose and a hope of, 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 of being able to be blessed and experience the blessing with a freedom of heart and no worry and, and to experience all the good God wants us to have. But he will not settle for being second or third or fourth on the priority list in our lives. He is first and above all. And he designed us to live most fully alive with him when he is in that first place in our life, in all things, including money. And something else important about the text that helps us understand how to live with heart free and the power of money is that there's a principle of the best. So notice Exodus 23. It's not just the 10%. It's not just the first it's it's not the leftovers. It's it's what it says. Bring the best. All throughout the rest of the Old Testament, especially, but even in the New Testament, it talks about bringing the the bringing the gift that with that that's without blemish, the perfect one, the good one, the one that you least want to get rid of, the best to him across the board. We we see this in Cain and Abel's story as well. We see Cain offering uh, giving an offering that is nondescript. But Abel gives an offering where it says he gave the best. He gave the fat portions. And if you understand Old Testament and how it talks about the fat portions and sacrifices, it always refers to the fat portions as the best. Now, I didn't really fully understand this till I had a conversation one time with one of the, one of the great grillers in, uh, in Quest, Jake Anderson. And, and we were grilling one day and he talked to me and he said, he said, you know, Ross, you got me this, uh, you got me this 90% lean meat and that's not going to give me as good a flavor as the 70% lean meat. Because even if the fat all, all drips off of it, you get most of your flavor from cooking it with the fat. Right? It was always the best to have the fat portions. Now, I realize that causes a problem because we may have heart attacks and die earlier, but hey, that we, we get to heaven quicker, right? If that's the case, but we get the best. We have the best burgers. See, these principles of tithe and first and best without blemish are repeated dozens of times in the Old Testament and New Testament. Abel gave the first and the best. Cain gave when he got around to it, and it wasn't the best. Both communicating different relationships with God and a different heart orientation toward God and where he was in their life. The Genesis text goes on and says this, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. 
And it's this picture of this crouching predator, this crouching lion, ready to strike at any moment. And such is the power of wealth and money in all of our lives on a regular basis. It's sitting there, always crouching, ready to come into the wrong place. And each of us must regularly and consistently make decisions to not allow money to come between us and God in our lives. Those who argue Paul's giving with a cheerful heart and generosity is an argument against the tithe and first fruits and giving the best totally miss Paul's point that he's trying to make. What Paul is actually trying to illustrate in his comment there is the difference between law and gospel. See, in law, we try to earn something by giving. We try to do something to earn acceptance. In the gospel, we do something, we give a sacrifice, and we give our lives and sacrifice to God and his mission and love to others because of gratefulness, because we are so extravagantly forgiven and cared for, because we have received the most extravagant gift and generous gift anyone could ever have been given. So we give out of a grateful heart. You see, in both law and gospel, you do the obedient actions because faith without works is dead, the Bible says. You just do, you just obey for different reasons, from a different heart. And it always comes back to a heart issue for us. In one, you obey with a heart bound by anxiety and worry and stress and pressure to prove yourself to God. In the other, you get to experience the real peace and the real joy as you give obedience. And it's actually that latter one where we experience the true generosity that God wants us to experience, that we all long to experience, which leads us to principle five. We give as a grateful response to the gospel. See, God asks us. I mean, all you have to do is think about the concept of God as creator, and this makes sense. God asks us rightfully for the faithfulness in little, to be faithful in little, to give the first, the best, to return to him 10% as a minimum of what he has given us from a grateful, cheerful heart. And these five principles are what can help us regularly keep our heart in a place that's free and open so we get to enjoy the wealth we have and we actually get to become the generous people we all long to be and we all dream of being. You see, our heart, our heart ultimately becomes free when we fully believe and act like he did indeed give us his first and his best for us. And see, when we understand that he went to the wall that far, that far for us, then we can trust him with our provision, we can trust him with our finances, and we can give extravagantly out of a huge joy and gratefulness because Jesus gave us that same and more to us. And that is very personal to each one of us. I know it is for me. I mean, because of his extravagant love and his patience with me, I am no longer a religious, judgmental bleep. And there's a nice word for donkey that goes in there who condemned people who couldn't perform well morally and wouldn't measure up morally even though I couldn't myself. You see, Jesus saved me from hollow, dead, mean religion. Right? And, and, and even more, without love and without patience, without kindness, without the grace of God, I would be driven by a need to win and succeed at all costs. And yes, I might have more money in my bank account today, but I would also have a ton more anxiety and stress and depression and anger that I would have experienced throughout life because my heart wouldn't have been right and free. I give 
and many of you give out of the great story of God's salvation in your life and how extravagantly good he's been to you. And that has specific meaning to you. It has personal characteristics. It brings up memories in your life that are attached to it. But all of us need regular checkups because money is like a devouring lion stalking us, waiting to corrupt us. The question, who is first in our lives? Do we trust God more or do we trust money more? See, our giving is generally a reliable, tangible measure of where our heart is at. Now, let me take a side step here for a minute because I need to t- make some caveat statements because I can just see uh, probably some of the anxiety and, and guilt and, and things going up in the room and there's questions that we can't answer. Some of you are struggling with not having a, a, the ability to tithe because of huge medical catastrophe and medical bills in your life. And some of you are struggling because of life change things that, that left you, maybe divorced and single parent and, and not being able to work a job that barely, barely makes ends meets or other reasons, and some of you struggle with giving because your spouse adamantly refuses to allow you to do it, and there's so much conflict around this area. I get that. I don't want any of you to walk away with any guilt today around those things. That's not my heart. That's not where God's heart would be for you today. And I also understand that we're not able to answer all the questions. You know, some people make income differently. Gener- they generate income differently. So is it net or is it gross? And how do we figure that out? And, and we're not answering the question of how you deal with retirement. And I, get we, I get that we don't have time to talk about all that stuff. But, but most of us, most of us are not tithing because money means too much to us. We've had to have too many things to make us feel happy, to make us feel secure. And it's evidence that we need a heart change. That money stands between us and God being first and foremost in our life. And we probably need a budgeting change as well in our life. To be able to tithe and even go beyond that eventually, we need to make some big changes. And and even if you're here and you, you do tithe, you're probably like me where there's still areas in your life where money is in the wrong place and it causes you unneeded sadness and anxiety and worry. And God wants to take that away. This is a heart thing first. So if you're here today and you're tight on a budget and you're not giving at all or or only giving a portion of a tithe to God, then, then just simply repent. Ask God's forgiveness for trusting money more than Him. Just get rid of it that way. And then start taking intentional steps to move in the direction of the tithe. If you're giving nothing, start with 1% or 2%. If you're, if you're giving 2%, maybe try to go to 4% and take Financial Peace University when it comes up in July so you can get the rest of your budgeting and debt and all that other stuff in order so you are more prosperous and more healthy and more strong financially. And you get to experience more wealth because you handle your money better. And then continue to add a percent every month until you get to 10%. Just head in the direction. Many of you have been intentional taking those steps and you've been talking to me and I've been seeing how you are finding so much pleasure in that. How your heart is finding so much freedom in taking those intentional steps to actually be the generous people you dream of being that you know and believe God wants you to be as well. And we're experiencing the benefit of that in being a greater blessing in our community as well. Proverbs 3 gives us a barn overflowing promise. 
But Malachi 3 extends that promise and extends this discussion a little bit. In Malachi, we see God talking to people who have been taken into exile because God allowed the just pain of their sin to catch up with them after they had profaned God's kindness for centuries. And God's talking to them and he says, But you ask, how are we to return to you, God? And God's answer actually starts with money. He says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And God says, in tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. See, Genesis 4 says that money and the power of it is like sin crouching at your door, like a predator at your door that could overtake your heart and corrupt you. And at any time, Malachi says, when we don't have our heart and our actions right with God, we place ourselves under a curse, the curse of sin. When you believe in God and but put money in God's place, you don't allow the work Jesus did on your behalf to remove the curse. Instead, you're living like it's up to me, and I'm the one in control. So basically, when you're doing that, you're living under the law. And you're making, you're trying to make yourselves good enough, trying to give so you can feel good about yourself, So you live under a curse, experiencing less than God has planned for us. God goes on and says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Now, most scholars believe that the storehouse is the local church. And and it goes on from there. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And then he says, test me in this. It's the only place in the Bible where God says, test me. He's inviting you to take an action to prove whether he's faithful to his promise that he's about to make and his promises here. And he says, test me and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines near fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. This last week I was talking on the phone with a friend of mine from from, uh, Oklahoma. His name is Dave. He started his own tax financial planning and, and, and business consulting businesses. He's grown it, in, grown it into uh, thousands of, of, of clients now. And he's a follower of Jesus. He integrates his faith into his business on a regular basis, rarely goes through a week with, without being able to pray for somebody in need because of who's coming into his office. And, and I said to Dave on the phone this last week, I said, what do you see in this whole giving thing? And he says, Ross, you know, I've spent all my years doing taxes now and, and stuff for people, and I've noticed, I've always paid attention to noticing how much somebody's income was and how much they gave. And he says, I can tell you beyond a shadow of doubt, there's such a huge correlation between being happy and being generous and being, and being giving. He says, when I see somebody who's making a hundred grand or more to four hundred grand a year, and they give a thousand dollars or so, he says, I can tell you on, on uh, almost all the time, they are noticeably less healthy physically, carry greater stress, have less happiness in their family and marriage and more destruction going on. But he says, when I see somebody who makes a hundred to four hundred thousand dollars a year and they give ten percent of their more, I can almost guarantee that they're happier, that their family is more likely to be intact, that they're healthier, that they're peaceful, they're more joyful. Everything is better in their life. And see, God's promise is not a guarantee of being rich, but it is a guarantee of being blessed. And that blessing comes in so many different ways. It comes emotionally, it comes spiritually, it comes relationally, and yes, it will also come financially. When God has the right place in your heart 
And there's no, there are no gods competing for that place. When money is in the right place in your heart, you will realize God's intent for blessing you with wealth in your life and making you a blessing. And you won't deal with as much anxiety or stress over it. You'll be so much more free. Instead of, instead of finances being one of the top causes of divorce, it can become one of the top causes of shared joy between a spouse, between spouses who are on the same page with their heart right with God, being able to be generous and about mission together. It becomes a whole different dynamic in marriage and, be, and it's beautiful. And it goes even beyond just the benefit we get from it. God goes on in Malachi and says this. He says, then, meaning when we tithe and test God's promise, then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land. Doesn't that sound fun? To be a delightful community? God wants our giving and our generosity and our enjoyment of wealth to be fun to us, to not be stressful. God wants us to be the most generous people on the face of the planet who, who are the most grateful and the most joyful, the most delightful, and our impact is not just on bettering our own lives and our own families, but it makes our entire community better when we become this kind of generous people. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great to see because of us and the influence God does through us for that 1.72% or whatever the one was, and then whatever the one was for Westerville to double in five years? Wouldn't it be great in 10 years for our two primary zip codes to be up around the 10% in giving mark and generosity? Can you imagine how many people would be celebrating because needs were met because there was research done for cancer that couldn't be done before. There was there were people getting counseling that couldn't get counseling before. And families are happier and kids are happier. Wouldn't there be so much to rejoice from that? Let's, I, I want you to join me in praying consistently that God would do that through our influence in our community, that we could measure that on that chart that I gave you earlier and see our community become a more generous place. But it all starts. It all starts with us, us leading the way, us trusting God and saying, when he says, test me in this, and us taking him up on that challenge and then seeing what he does where he says, see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, blessing translated fun, translated meaningful, wonderful Applause, joyful life, awesome, so much blessing that there's not room enough to store it. Wouldn't that be fun to experience? Let's pray. Just ask the Holy Spirit, where are you speaking to me? If you feel resistance to what I've said today because of maybe because of baggage in the past, and maybe I've said something like somebody who you felt was a money grubber in the past and, and it's caused baggage for you today, just let that go aside right now and just say, God, I want to be in a right place with you in my money so that I can enjoy it and I can be the generous person you've called me to be and that I want to be. Holy Spirit, come and speak to us. What do you want each one of us to do? Some of you are needing to repent because money has clearly been in the wrong place in your life. You've been really angry over the demands of Scripture and God in the regard to your money. 
but would you just repent and allow his extravagant goodness to come to you now and experience his forgiveness, experience his love and his pleasure for you right now. And would you just ask him, even though you don't feel like it, Lord, would you help my heart become a grateful heart? Would you replace this anger, Lord, with a gratefulness? Would you replace this disappointment, this doubt, with a gratefulness? And let him speak to you. For some of you, that may mean you make an instant jump to giving 10% and see what he does. For others of you, it may mean it may mean I've got to commit to financial peace. And I've got to, I'm going to commit to 1% more than I'm doing now. And I'm going to make a plan to keep raising that. And as you respond to God with that kind of a heart, that's taking him up on his test. And he's going to prove himself. He's going to prove himself faithful. If you make this about your heart and not money, he's going to prove himself faithful to you, to bring blessing to you. Lord, we bless your work among us. We ask that you would indeed make us the most generous people on the planet in a joyful, loud exclamation of your goodness to us. As we continue to worship, we're going we're gonna to sing some more, but we're also going to celebrate communion. I can't think of a better way to, and better reason to do that today because it is the very symbol of the most extravagant gift ever given to us that we're remembering today. If someone who we sinned against, who gave us everything, who we treated profanely and sinned against and chose to not allow him to be in that place in our life, would respond to our sin by coming himself and paying the penalty for us so that we could be forgiven and we could be free. Someone who goes to that extent is someone we can trust to provide for us. Someone we can trust with every area of our life, including our money, because he's so good. So if you're a follower of Christ here today, I would encourage you to just come and celebrate and just thank him for the extravagant gift and ask him to continue to give you a a grateful heart and just continue to worship as we continue our service now. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest podcasts, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at gotoquest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org.